in my opinion, I feel like we should be at a point where we should be minimizing or we should be figuring out ways where we can make our society more efficient. You know, our electrical grid, our infrastructure, our human potential, like our the, 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 the cumulative human minds that we have here. Like, you know, we could just unleash that through just a, a broader scope sort of diagnosing for kids it would be amazing do you feel like you're fighting against time every generation that goes by you're like ah another generation's in jail because we're not diagnosing kids properly <laughs> i'm laughing chris only i'm not that old but okay. i've seen multiple generations go by but but the answer is yes yes of course uh i i saw uh, some of the original work when I first got to Baltimore in the 80s, and it's like, it's like, what could we have done? Uh, I sat in the mayor's office of the city of Baltimore uh, with a group of people. The chief of police was on one side, the chief of, and they found uh, they originally funded a, a a very small pilot research program, and we were doing wonderful work. And there was a change in who the mayor was at the time, and it led to a change in this committee that was dealing with this research. And of course, some new uh, I love uh, you know I, I wouldn't love, but I'm about to say an attorney. You know, we could have all the attorney jokes, but we'll <laughs> let those go. But an attorney read their charter and said, "Oh." We're only supposed to be funding actual service programs, not research. Uh, and we funded you incorrectly. We acknowledge you're about the best program we've ever funded, that you report on time, that you're doing all the things we need. And um, it, it was, but we can't keep funding you. Um, We'll allow you to keep going if you can find other funding. Uh, and after putting about 30000 of my own money in and not being able to find a replacement funding source in time, we had to abandon the program. But it was interesting as we were already beginning to show some of what others like David Dzik and Stanley Casino and Joel Zabo were, were finding with this population. And it was interesting. The, the, um, the chief of police was next to me and, and again, the mayor and we head of the jail systems. And um, they were basically saying, well, uh, be because Dr. Casino showed a reduction in recidivism, that's re-arrest, after vision therapy from wow. something like in the 80 percent down to 12 to 14 percent. Wow. So it was a massive change. It worked better than Scared Straight or those kinds of programs, which had a big effect in the beginning, but then sort of tailed off that we could really change the re-arrest rates and the, the head of the police said well I have to acknowledge maybe all you're doing is making them better at being criminals but he said I'm willing to take that risk and if that's what's happening you'll have to do your vision training on my policemen yeah <laughs> wow wow that's crazy man yeah. that's wow and, and that and so that just that's and that was in the 1980s, Chris. That was in the 1980s. Yeah, my and yes, I've seen it, you know, over and over. And then I, I did in the 90s, I did this program in the Baltimore City Public Schools. And we showed massive, massive changes. Uh, and again, it's getting a school system to... Look, our current political system, where people are in for two-year terms, four-year terms six-year terms, that's it, if you're a senator, right, uh, does not 
lend itself to somebody who's willing to take a 15 or 20 year view and say, we're going to stay the course with this program and watch and see what happens. Because it would take that long to start working with um, the, the, the children as they're born to make sure they have the proper nutrition, the proper developmental experiences, to shepherd them through their, their 12 or 13 years of, of basic education, providing them with the stress-relieving lenses they need, the vision therapy if there's a problem, and the appropriate educational opportunities and support in their communities if their family uh, nucleus begins to break down, that there's the proper support for emotional, um, social work, et cetera, et cetera. Um, It would take 15 to 20 years for a program like that to show, look at the change. And you don't have politicians uh, because too much of this is in the control of, of the politicians, we, they can't have that kind of long-term view. And, and, you know, it's why we have things like infrastructure problems all around the United States uh, because to invest in infrastructure. And our children, if you think about it, in a, our kind of infrastructure of our future, that in order to invest in them, you need long-term commitment to programs, and you've got to give them a chance to, to have an effect. Yeah, I have all sorts of theories for that, but we're going to move forward. Uh, Dr. Harris, can you help me um, with painting a, a, a utopian picture of what vision therapy could be? You know, like, uh, again, I dare you to dream. You know, what, what is this utopian possible reality? That- so... The best would be to be involved as early as we possibly can. And uh, I'll give a shout-out to a program called Infant C that the AOA, the American Optometric Association, is involved in, and I've been supportive from the very beginning, where at six months to 12 months of age, approximately 6,000-plus optometrists, and that's a lot of people, have said, I will give one free, complete visual assessment to a child there to make sure that there's nothing, um, that, that, that they have the tools necessary and that they are developing appropriately. And I can tell you that it's at, that program has actually saved lives. Found children that had retinoblastomas, uh, cancer, forming in an eye before anybody was aware. I think it's 17 and counting children since the inception of that program that have been identified, had the surgery, and their lives been saved from that. Now, that's an extreme case, but but uh, over hundreds of thousands of children have been served by this program, setting the stage right. So optometry, who knows how to do early childhood development and provide parents with the things they should do, the kinds of play, the kinds of toys, the kinds of interactions. And first of all, if we had that in the first five to six years of life, Chris, we would be reducing or nearly, um, not eliminating, but we would be reducing by, let's say, 50% the number of children who would even need vision therapy later on because we gave them the opportunity to have the appropriate developmental experiences early in their life. Then, prior to entry to uh, kindergarten, they would get their first complete office-based um, vision, vision evaluation. And if there were things they needed, they would get their treatment. And we would see them 
um, on a yearly basis through school. And their evaluations wouldn't just be eye health and acuity and, gee, you see 2020, everything's fine. But it would look at eye teaming. It would look at um, um, tracking skills. It would look at reading performance as they get uh, to the point that they're actually reading for information. You know, they say until fourth grade you learn to read. From fourth grade on, you use reading to learn. And as they make that transition, we need to make sure that the mechanics of reading are sound. Um, that's one of the biggest things I found in the Baltimore City public school population. Um, here I had fourth and fifth graders who were already, they couldn't handle the, the difficulty material, but they were reading so slowly, it took them twice as long on average to get through the reading material. Now, 40% of their school day was they had to read for information, and they had the same length school day as the kids in the suburbs who did know how to read, they were falling behind just because of the time demand uh, on them. So these kinds of things, seeing the children, early childhood development, getting everybody seen by people who were looking at the whole child and all of the visual skills and abilities, we can change the face of the earth and probably decrease the number who need therapy by at least 50% with just something like that. Um, Then shifting the learning-related visual problems, vision therapy to a school-based program, that, that would be just an incredible, wonderful future. Why should it only be the middle to upper middle class that get it, that can afford it. It should be every child who is a U.S. citizen or in a U.S.-based school should have access to this type of program and this type of treatment. Um, And then in private practice, that's where we handle the traumatic brain injuries and the, the, the stroke victims and all these other types of things that will always be there and always crop up. Those would be the ones that would be uh, in your private practice setting, the sports and the autism. The, those are things that are going to be beyond the school-based programs. Wow, yeah, I, that sounds like a, uh, I'm ho- it sounds like there's a hopeful future um, in store for us. Um, I, have a, I have another question sort of to bring things to a close-ish, um, out of, a bit of out of left field. Um, and it involves the idea of combining um, 3D audio, spe- spe- spatial hearing, with binocular vision. Uh, and, 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 and I want to know what your thoughts are on the relationship between the binocular neurons that deal with vision um, and the binocular neurons that deal with hearing. And if there's something there that you could, that we, we've been actually thinking about in creating therapy and, or an, exp- an experience that involves VR, um, 3D vision, and uh, spatial audio. So, so tell me, is there something there? <laughs> well, interesting. So, again, uh, we haven't talked at all about this, but I don't know. You would not have any idea that I've actually experienced what's called graphic sound uh, and have some of these recordings um, where um, they actually recorded uh, like like somebody, it was the microphone, but getting a haircut, right? Mm-hmm. And the scissors are going up and over and forward and back and you, you localize that sound exactly where it is. Or somebody's crinkling some wax paper around you like this and this type of thing. Or sound filling in. And I, I, 
again, we don't know each other enough, but uh, I'm a professional musician as well. So uh, the concept of sound and sound production, uh, I used to go to, um, I had the opportunity to sit in Carnegie Hall by myself, the only person on stage, and I play a very loud, big instrument, bass trombone, and to be able to warm up and just play a long tone, but play it piano or pianissimo, soft as anything, Chris, but to look up out into Carnegie Hall and know and, and have this mental image, every molecule in here is vibrating because of the sound that I am making and the concept of projecting my sound out into this space. So anything that we can do to match the sound system and the location in space with where an object actually is, is awesome. Know that when I watch television in the evening, I have a wonderfully balanced full 5.1 sound with uh, um, bass actuators actually in our couch uh, <laughs> for you know when something hits and this type of thing, and and I just love that ability to to, to do that. And I have a series of lossless uh, audio. Um, that you are as if you're sitting in the band itself as it's performing. So I I, I can't wait to try it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, we'll keep you posted. Um, what other senses okay. do you think? What do you think? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on combining vision therapy with the other senses? Touch, um, taste, um, smell. I, I, I'm just again another question out of left field. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that the smell of vision or the scratch and sniff, uh, uh, kind of where you're puffing at me. I don't think that's really something I'm I'm too into at this point. And I really don't want you to spray me and get me wet when the water hits on the screen. So we can leave a few of those senses out of stuff. Um, I, look, I think the critical part in this was when in the beginning when you had the leap motion controller and we could see the hand and the hand movement, this was a critical thing and that I could move in this type of thing. And if we could get better... Um, uh, Better awareness of both hands in space and not where, like right now, the way I have it set with the controller on the front of the device, where I have to keep moving my head and hands as a unit. I'd like my hands to just be free and seen. I'd like to, I'd like to, to move. I don't know if eventually augmented reality um, uh, with the idea of almost like the hollow lens concept right now, where I go into a space. And, and I'm hearing some of these games where you first look around and you you log the space. And then you can play games where they're going to hide objects in your actual space. And you just get to walk through physically. And move. Oh, there it was underneath the chair. Or there it was behind the... Um, these things, that seems like, wow. Um, so very futuristic uh, in that kind of setting. But we know that... the that's still under development. We're not close to, but it may be that augmented reality where um, we can now in a 3D way present, uh, there's a sound coming from something. Can you find it uh, and search in your visual area? Or um, again, using these different modalities. So eventually something where I'm not tied to a gaming rig, but I can actually move around in space uh, and we can get this seamless 
frame rate uh, high enough we can get the sensory aspects from so that I'm untethered and can now move through space. That's pretty futuristic, but uh, um, that would be wonderful. Yeah, it would be. Uh, I'm not going to say much, but speaking of augmented reality, wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> say no more. Say no more. <laughs> it has been a total pleasure and a blast getting to know you a little bit and speaking to you. Um, do you have any final thoughts before we bring things to a close? No, I, I can just say it's been an absolute pleasure um, right from the beginning um, uh, to see James's enthusiasm and Tuan's uh, work and um, uh, your programmer's name. It, it escapes me. <laughs> Manish, yeah. Um, First of all, I, I just they have been so helpful every step of the way, um, but I can see their unbridled enthusiasm for helping provide optometrists with the tools that we need to change the world. I thank you guys for all that you're doing uh, because I need what you do. All right. All, uh, every, you get a thank you. I get a thank you. Everyone gets a thank you. Uh, <laughs> once again, thanks again for your time. All right, Chris. Have a great day. And bam, don't.